0: Welcome to the Brand Party Podcast. I'm your host, Christine from CL Designs. If you know me, execution and getting shit done is my middle name. This podcast will energize you to invest in your brand in new ways. Join me for tips, insights, and actions you can take to make your brand a priority in your business. My guests and I deliver honest, to-the-point advice you can implement right away. Your brand is worth celebrating. It can be fun, and I'll show you how. Let's get this party started! Chief Basampra is a results-driven person with a creative eye and expansive imagination. He uses seven plus years of creative management and data analytics to help businesses tell engaging stories about their brand identity, services, and products. He's also the founder of Undisposable and Auntie Lucy's Burgers. To the true creative at heart, here's Chief. Well, thank you so much, Chief, for joining in on the Brand Party Podcast today. I'm so excited to have you on here.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to speak with you and you know just have this conversation.
0: Absolutely. So I want to dive in and ask you too, what does Brand Party, how does it resonate with you?
1: It is a podcast about branding. My whole career is based on branding, so I wanted to have this conversation.
0: Amazing. And what would you say to those who feel overwhelmed by their branding and design challenges right now?
1: To take it one step at a time and just to kind of take a step back and try to figure out like what it is that your brand is trying to convey, the type of customer you want to appeal to, how you want your product or service to make them feel strip it down to those kind of simple questions and it's like once you can answer each of those simple questions it kind of like just helps you truck along rather than trying to think of like man i need to do this massive takeover or this massive you know rebuild um, which can be very daunting
0: it's all about those building blocks for sure and it doesn't need to be more overwhelming or more stressful than we already have on our plate
1: (laughs) it's all about you know just like the, the small little steps
0: And it sounds like you're a true creator at heart and just multi-passionate as well. So your brand is definitely hungry for creating those unique experiences and events. Community and culture is so integral to what you do as well. And what have you done to kind of keep that pulse on this community, especially during this time and creating really memorable experiences?
1: In terms of the events before everything shut down, it was just kind of really granting opportunity. I was able to just consistently kind of get new opportunities, whether it's from bigger corporations or whether it's from sponsorships, et cetera. And then I've just always setting it down the pipeline because uh these corporations and these companies, they wouldn't be aware of the up and coming talent and stuff like that that I would be aware of at the grassroots with the people kind of doing it who are doing these things, who are kind of leading these movements. So always just kind of sharing my opportunity, sharing my knowledge. And then now I, I guess creating products, whether it's like people with clothing lines, are kind of coming up with new products fairly often and kind of just like shedding light to people who are kind of doing that so i'm just all about just kind of shedding light on the people who might be unknown and just helping continue to prosper as a byproduct i also prosper somehow
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah your success is my success is definitely a good mentality to go into and just yeah. that genuine support is so refreshing and Understanding that, you know, you're not like dimming people's light in a sense because you're elevating other people's journeys and what they have to offer too. So it's such a beautiful thing. Understanding that a brand evolves with you because kind of going through like people's overwhelming feeling of having to do it all at once is definitely real. So with like so many big companies, even out there like Pepsi or Airbnb and everything like that, going through rebrands too, like understanding that that iteration process is definitely part of it and an essential part of the process and not like a deviation from it. But I, undisposable in particular, like you mentioned that standard of perfection comes with the deep understanding that it means to learn from your mistakes. Yeah. So through those trial and tribulations, like, as you look at your brand identity, especially, and that it's kind of second nature to you almost, like when you're going through those, what are you reflecting on? What are you letting go of? And how can we kind of really hone in on that clarity for ourselves?
1: Yeah, I feel like as a as a company, we started as like an underground party company. And then we kind of grew into like a, more of a, a brand events and kind of trying to be a boutique. So yeah, you know, you take a few steps back to take some forward. But it's like, once you learn, you kind of don't do that again. And then you just try to keep growing. And I find that like with each bigger project that we took on, we made more mistakes, but also to learn from them quickly. And we're able to kind of just keep the whole ship intact. It is taking on more than you can handle, but at the same time, knowing that you are prepared for it.
0: Yeah. And it sounds like you have a good support team around you too, to definitely help navigate those risks in a sense as well, uh, which is super helpful because it can feel even more overwhelming when you're doing it alone.
1: If you're the one running the company, it's like you have to be the leader, but you also have to empower the people around you to really be their best selves. I kind of grew into this because we did a project with SoundCloud maybe last December, and it was for the SoundCloud Creator Forum. It was like a four-day program. We took over at the old Chanel at Queen & Ossington. That was the scenario at the time was the biggest project I had done. And what I did was I had a few different people involved. My approach was you're an expert in what you do, and I'm an expert in what I do. So this is a general plan. I'm going to let you do, do your thing. I'm going to like kind of oversee you but not micromanage you. And when we get to a point where like I need to check in, we'll do these check-ins, but like we're all just kind of doing what we need to do and at the end it's going to be formulated. And I rolled the dice on some people and everyone, you know, kind of came through it. it, went off without a hitch. But there were points in the week leading up to it when I was just like, wow, like I'm really rolling the dice on these people, you know. And uh, I was like, yeah, if somebody drops the ball, like we're screwed, (laughs) but uh, everyone everyone did their thing. And it's like, at the end of the day, I was like, you know what, this works because I entrusted the right people because Mm -hmm. I knew that they could handle it. You know, so it wasn't, nothing was by mistake. Um, But after that, I was like, you know, it's a good approach. Just like, you don't try to do too much and everyone just does their part and you just create Voltron.
0: Yeah, amazing. Trust the people, trust the process Uh, It's definitely key. And so celebration is definitely a key pillar too here at the Brand Party Podcast. And I love that you dove right in amidst like the pandemic and to celebrate your culture as well. And opened up Auntie Lucy's, also teamed up with Top Chef Canada semifinalist, Adrian Forte. So what inspired you to actually go in to explore this new business venture?
1: Probably just from a consumer standpoint, I was just into food. I also really love burgers. Alouette, or going to like, you know, Harry's Charble, like all these places. One day, all I wanted was to have another supposed burger on an Uber Eats menu, and then just kind of send people there to order it, and that's really all I wanted. I just wanted it as like a as like promotional play, and i reached out to a burger shop that I liked at the time, because I noticed they were following the account, and I was like, oh, like, do you guys want to collab? And they were into it, and then we ended up doing a four-day pop-up on Osington. And that's where I first came up with uh, the name, the, the branding, like the whole... Everything, like it's the intellectual property of Auntie Lucy's. It was a success. We were selling out all these things. From like a back end standpoint, it wasn't as good as it, as it should have been. That was the first time when I was like, this could work. Like people liked it. You know, we just gotta figure out on more on the back end how to make it work as a business. But from a consumer standpoint, people liked it. At that point in time during the four-day pop-up, we didn't have any kind of uh Gandhian inclusion or no other stuff. It was just kind of more like Auntie Lucy's burger. It was called Auntie Lucy's Burger Shop at the time. It was inspired by In and Out. So our colors were red, yellow, white, just kind of like very West Coast in the midst of winter. <laughs> uh, the pandemic was kind of coming. I was consulting for another company uh, called Grail in New York. Came back to Toronto because, you know, we had to kind of all come back. I was like, hey, what are we going to do? Because the events were slowing down, obviously. And my, I was still consulting um, from afar. Like, you know, what else are we going to do? So then I was thinking about doing the burger shop as a pop-up. Well, I know every summer, Ace Hill, they have like an Ace Hill block party with Giant Container and that's huge. I want to be there. I want to be maybe at Maddie Matheson's food thing as well. I just want to pop up at different, very culturally relevant places. I came to learn about ghost kitchens and I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. You know, low, low overhead and stuff like that. I thought to myself, I was like, you know what? I could make this brand pop if it was on a delivery app. I was like, I can just get people to know about the brand and then order it if they see it. So that was my strategy. And then we came to also do, I guess, curbside pickup. I was planning it for about two months prior, and the June third date was already set to be the date once I found the location. This is before COVID was really hitting. This is before like Black Lives Matter, everything, George Floyd. As we were getting closer to the date, things were just getting more and more tumultuous and just crazy in the world. I was like, man, this is kind of nuts. Like, are we still going to like drop this? Because I had invested a decent amount of money and time and stuff like that, and I didn't want it to come across as like opportunistic. Mm-hmm. It wasn't. With uh, you know, some people around me i kind of consulted with what they thought and we kind of had like a psa that basically stated that like oh we've been playing this for a few months it's not opportunistic etc etc our first month we're going to donate x amount to different charities kind of promoting uh, and supporting black lives matter and uh we're opening tomorrow (laughs) (laughs) we open tomorrow the next day and it was nuts like we just got like waves of Organic support like hundreds of people were resharing this and that it was just like a whirlwind first two days like, we didn't have um, printers for like we had the tablets because uh, we, we were eating stuff like We were in the kitchen with the cooks just kind of like reading the orders and they were making it and they had just learned the menu And it was like insane the Friday of that week because we opened on a Wednesday So we got our printers and like things started to kind of like Tighten up a bit, and then like and then I think maybe a week later we were kind of had a better swing and
0: Amazing. Cause I feel like a lot of people bypass that market research phase as well. And they just think that, Oh, okay, I'm going to like put my brand out there on Instagram and then people are going to flock to me, you know, Yeah. but obviously it doesn't work like that necessarily. I think transparency is extremely key, especially during these times too, that if you're just real with people, that this is something that's going to resonate. And not only did you have that charitable piece, but like just being straight up with like your intentions of wanting to open the business in the first place, I think is something that people can just really, you know, admire and support at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, I'm just, I'm just really grateful because I couldn't like stand anywhere and try to act as if I'm some sort of marketing genius or... Like I knew that this was the perfect timing and it just, it just kind of, we just rolled the dice and it was luckily a great product. People still like the product. It was great because I feel like I was just being true to myself, in, in ter- especially in terms of um, the Ghanaian aspect, naming after my grandma and like kind of like highlighting places in Ghana. I never would have thought like how much it would resonate with people like the Ghanaian community in Toronto and all these various things that came to happen afterwards.
0: And so I followed your journey since like, you were at your King Street location too. And then now at the Annex Hotel in Toronto. So the way that your team has pivoted along the way is just absolutely incredible. And just like the resilience that you guys bring to the table, no pun intended, but just (laughs) if you're open to sharing that experience, like what was it like? And what was going through your mind as you had to like really shift quite quickly? Um, And like, how did you find a solution that was the best fit for you at that time?
1: Yeah, it was crazy times. The month of June was a whirlwind, for sure, and early July. It was great. it was like, you know, we started this thing, then it kind of took off. When I reflect on it, where it kind of went of array was the location we had rented from. I guess the guy had a reputation prior of as kind of not being the best guy to deal with, um, which I found out later. I think what kind of caused issue was he never presented us with paperwork. He kind of verbalized some agreement. Then I got my lawyer to kind of put on paper Then he's like, then he didn't really want to sign it. And like, normally in those situations, you kind of ask someone like, oh, like, what do you want to amend? Like, what do you want to change? And then we kind of find it and then we sign the paperwork. And then he's just like, send me this amount of money, which was lower than the initial ask. I was was like, whatever. And the initial ask was also like fairly low at the time, but it was within the range of like industry standards at the time, because at the time it seemed fair. Yeah. And it's like, it's just peak COVID. No one's really going outside. So we kind of just off to the races and then. He was there as well, working on his business, which I think is another factor that kind of made things weird, just him being there daily and just seeing our business and just seeing our business grow within his business, business not making money on our business, inevitably fuels some sort of like animosity, I guess, especially Mm -hmm. the people around him are kind of just like, you know, asking him questions, poking around, kind of like, what's up? I'm seeing this all over the news, but like, how are you benefiting? You know, story short, we get to a point where I'm like, yo, so, I want to stay here for the next month. And mm-hmm. then he's like, okay, cool. Yeah, let's do it. And I'm like, so like, how much? Like, what, what are we going to do? <laughs> Basically ends up times 10 the initial rate, which was just kind of weird to me. And I, was, I asked realtors, I asked kind of other industry people who had locations like, oh, is this fair? And they're like, oh no, that's way too much for just a kitchen. You know, like my whole establishment costs what he's asking per month. So then I tried to meet him halfway and also offered like marketing from our company as well to kind of help supplement his, cause he owned a brewery, help helped supplement his beer and help trying to help him sell more beer and stuff like that. And, um, he just kind of didn't want to, you know, find a middle ground, which was fine. Like that was what I said to us. I was like, we never had to make a deal. I was like, we can't find middle ground. It's okay. It's all good. We're going to move somewhere else. And he's like, okay, no problem. I wish you guys the best. I don't want to like cut your legs off. So I'll give you guys, I think he told us to give us a week to transition. Cause we, at the time, didn't really know we were, where we were gonna go. We were potentially gonna go across the street, but after viewing the location, it wasn't the most ideal. And we didn't want to have a stop and service. So I was kinda like, hmm, I don't know what I'm gonna do, but I guess I'm just gonna leave here, you know? So then on the Sunday, I go to speak to him. We tried to make an agreement again. We couldn't. I was like, it's all good. On the Monday, talk again, he's like, you know, it's all good, blah, blah, blah. I was like, cool, buy some of his beer. I'm like, I'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow's Tuesday, I get a text in the morning being like, okay, after tomorrow, Wednesday, you have you guys have to leave. And I was like, what happened to like a week? And he's just like, nah, like, nah, just basically just get out. And then that's when we made that IG post. We didn't even mention his business. We kind of just said, yeah. landlord, this, times, t-. just to lay the facts on the table and just to let our fans know why we had to move or why we might have to stop service. And that was the scenario where I didn't expect that to go as crazy as it did. We got like 4,000 <laughs> shares and it was like, this whole whirlwind, which just kind of went insane. And then he kind of rebuttaled and tried to make all these accusations. And it was nuts. So then amidst all of that, we had to stop, obviously, on the Wednesday. I get a call from him. He had, like, banned me from the location. People don't even know this, but I was, like, banned from going to the establishment on our last day. So I couldn't even go to the establishment on our last day. So our managers had to, like, basically hold it down. And then I had lined up uh, meetings with different realtors, had like five viewings that day. Um, so after viewing different places and talking to them, I ended up just settling with them. I think being from the DIY event space, so used to running done and like problem solving on the go and just so used to like people trying to cause problems and just, I'm just used to problems, you know? So this scenario as daunting as it was, was just like another problem that just had to get solved.
0: Yeah. And I think that's why a lot of people go into business too. And just like as creatives with, you know, tinkering minds all the time, it's just nice to be able to obviously have some ease in what you do, but also this is kind of the part of the process that you understand that it comes with the territory and that, you know, it keeps things interesting as well, for sure, for better or for worse. (laughs)
1: Yeah, it was interesting too because I've done a lot of just stuff like in a niche, like in a community. So, this is the first time where like one of my projects was hitting the masses. That's when I was like, oh, whoa, this is like really kind of nuts. And I had to really take the time to actually think about what I was saying and the messaging that we were putting out into the world.
0: Yeah, because even from your previous work too, like where it was like more underground per se, like I think that transparency piece is definitely something that has carried you into your version of success in whatever business that you've come across as well. And you talked to the Toronto star about how like a lot of black chefs and businesses who have worked twice as hard in order to gain the recognition that their counterparts haven't. And so like, that's something that's really stuck with me too. And it's like definitely not a trend that's going to you know fade away or it's not just like a hashtag that's out there um, as well, but like, how can we support BIPOC better moving forward and actually practicing resilience in our everyday lives? Because these problems do, Unfortunately, occur in different sort of aspects, whether in life or business.
1: It all kind of starts, kind of at the almost at the initial stage of like funding. You know, because I feel like Mm
0: -hmm. generally,
1: I guess BIPOC individuals find it hard to get funding because maybe you just weren't in a scenario where you had good credit prior, and then you can't go get a loan from the bank, and that like hinders you from doing this and hinders you from doing that. Whereas someone else can just walk into a bank and get a loan and start, or like inquire from a family member and get a loan and start. So I think those are the big hurdles that you find, like just getting the financing. CIBC is doing a good job of trying to like lend a hand, I guess now with the $221 million that Trudeau and the House is giving out into the world. So it just seems like there's going to be more funding. I think now with people's awareness to the struggles that, you know, BIPOC individuals face when starting a business, I think that is a great step in the right direction because now people are actively trying to support and like purchase because obviously there's always a push to shop locally now we delve a bit deeper than just locally you try to you know go with different cultures i think that's great and i think that's what people need and i think for someone like myself it's like i am grateful but i also think about like other businesses maybe like an ethiopian restaurant for example ran by older people who maybe can't maneuver instagram and don't know all the ways to like tap into what's happening right now. Sometimes I think about places like that. I'm like, what are they going to do? They are also dealing with just, you know, being a person of color and how hard that is. But then they're also dealing with the technological restraints and stuff like that. So sometimes I, you know, I feel bad for people like that, but hope that it all works out. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of like resilience and resourcefulness, I think that comes from being in different circumstances like that. And it's nice to know that there's support around that is like, Kind of coming to light a little bit more as well, um, and that people aren't trying to shut it out and ignore it and hope that it goes away, you know.
1: Exactly.
0: <laughs> and so I have a few rapid uh, fire questions for you. Are you ready? Yep. What are you currently celebrating?
1: Oh, uh, our merch finally coming in. Yeah, we ordered merch. It's finally coming in. I'm really excited. People have been asking for merch since like day one. And uh, yeah, it's coming soon.
0: Amazing. Where can uh, people stay tuned then?
1: Probably Instagram.
0: Okay. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. And what's the number one thing that you want people to have fun with from this episode?
1: Just the idea that anything's possible. Even within chaos, you can find opportunity. Like within wartime, that's when a lot of people, you know, created their fortunes and stuff like that. So I remember as pandemic was getting crazier and like I was buying like airline stocks and just doing all these things. This is those times they speak of, you know. Like every mm-hmm. once in a hundred years, is like, okay, like a widespread chaos. Obviously, that's really bad. But on the flip side, it's like there's problems that need to be solved. Um, in terms of, and like one of them is just you know people you know getting food very safely delivered
0: to their house. And so, what is your bold legacy?
1: Hmm. I would say my bold legacy is just the guy really just kind of did what he wanted and try to help people along the way. And just the idea that, you know, as long as you're authentic, and as long as you really just know what you're talking about, people will entrust in you and believe in you. And, you know, just do right by people and they'll do right by you.
0: I love that. And so for fun, what is your favorite burger that we absolutely need to try today?
1: I would say the Kamasi burger. That's our, um, our single patty, four-ounce patty. It's great. It's like, you know, not too much. But some places, their approach is they just give you so much food and they just want you to eat it and just like fall over. Whereas like, I like our Kamasi <laughs> burger because it's like, you'll eat it and you'll be full, but you can still go do things. Yeah. Uh, exactly. It's not like too daunting. And then maybe that with the kelewele, which is like a super popular Ghanaian street food. is basically like plantain, but like smaller bite size with like spices on it. I like both of those like in conjunction.
0: Amazing. Yeah. Leave people wanting more.
1: Exactly. Exactly. It's all about that.
0: Amazing. Well, thank you so much for taking the time, Chief, to join in on the fun on the Brand Party Podcast. Where can people find out more about you?
1: Thank you, Christine, for having me. You can find out about us at Auntie Lucy's Burgers, Undisposable with two E's. I'm Go Ask Chief with two F's. Or you can come to the Annex Hotel, and we're usually there. Well, we're there. We're we're there every day. I'm usually all (laughs) there.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Looking for additional support to create a clear, confident, and cohesive brand? Grab the guide that has helped business owners alike determine what's most important when you're just starting to build a brand so you can continue on with what you do best with a free brand consistency checklist when you sign up for the email newsletter. Get access right away straight to your inbox with the link in the show notes.